This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. I, I want to state that uh, I want to I take a look at Jeff Lawton for just a moment. And uh, and so what Jeff Lawton is going to talk about is going to be quite different from what Sepulcher talks about while it's simultaneously being exactly the same. And I believe that Jeff Lawton, I've seen some of his videos where uh, he's answering questions or he's presenting uh, a little permaculture tidbit or whatever. And it's like, uh, you know, and I watch them and I I kind of feel like I can't argue with that. And it's and it's like uh, I think he is doing a lovely job putting up these very professional videos, answering important questions, and um, and and I have not taken his online PDC, but I have heard a lot of good things about it. Um, and my understanding is is that it has evolved year after year, and it's very good. Um, and I, I kind of get the idea that the material that he presents is extremely polished, etc. And in one of the, and I was, I was recording a podcast with him, and the topic of like money came up, and profit, and he said a bunch of stuff which I just couldn't wrap my head around. I don't know if you guys either remember this podcast or are familiar with Jeff's philosophies on money, but it it kind of sounded like uh, don't pursue money, and and uh, I was just I, I was just so I I guess what I'm trying to say is like. I agree with what Jeff says for so many things. And he and I used to have a debate about swales. And then we recorded a podcast where he said he changed his mind and he agrees with me now. <laughs> so it's like, good. Let's stop recording all future podcasts now. <laughs> Paul's right. Jeff's wrong. <laughs> Be done. So, but <clears throat> Jeff, Jeff is, is doing a magnificent job of teaching permaculture and, um, very eloquently, and he's got a, he's, he's really polished his message. I like his videos now a lot. Um, I think, I think that they're great. Okay. But when it comes to this money thing, I, and I haven't, I have not heard him ever say anything else about money other than what he was saying in that podcast of mine. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say like, I, I am confused about Jeff's position on profit, on monetary profit. It it uh, it didn't. I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. I'm sure it's fantastic, and I'm just too dumb or something. All right. Did you, do any of you remember this podcast with Jeff and what he was saying? I haven't listened to that podcast yet, but I did take Jeff Lawton's online permaculture class. And I read a lot of student 
reviews from people who went to his place. Um, and it seems it, my impression, I'll, I'll put it that way, is that he, um, wants people to come to his place and pay him money to, for the privilege of even being an intern there. I'm not sure. I know that that's the case for his coursework and it's pretty spendy. Um, right. So I think there's, um, uh, here's what I'll say about money being very different from here's what I'll do about money because, <laughs> because the permaculture online course, I believe I paid more than you charge for your in-person course that you're offering this summer. And it was all online. There was no FaceTime. There was no housing. There was no food. Like there were none of the costs and he's made all of his videos. So he doesn't even have to invest the time it takes to teach the class, like he's made the video. And so year after year, he can play the same video. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. And there's a whole team of TAs and I don't know if they get um, reimbursed for any of their time or effort. I'm pretty sure um, they get paid nothing, but they are volunteers. Yeah, that, that was my impression, but I don't have any uh, information one way or the other. Um, and I know that early on in the class, so I took mine, the 2019 class actually, um, got a late start and we started, um, in Jan January. Um, and then he extended the class because of COVID. Um, we started in January of 19, um, must have. Anyways. I know that COVID allowed all of us an extension to finish our project. And um, it, so it, it seems like he he talks about a money motivation being a bad thing, and, and that I can understand. Um, because if you're, like, the problem with um, corporate America, and I won't say capitalism because it's not anymore, in my opinion, um, Corporate America is money-focused, and when you're money-focused, you make different choices than when you have a balanced focus or, a, you know, so so what is the goal? And money has to be a part of it, in my opinion, um, but to have it be the, the priority is problematic. Okay. I was so, going to say the priority, too that if people go into things saying my number one priority with my job or permaculture or whatever is making a profit, then you're going to potentially cut corners in other areas. Like, well, it's cheaper and a time saver if I just spray the roundup over here versus doing this other stuff that maybe takes more time or effort, um, you know, or costs me more, even though it's more permaculturally, you know. So I think it's just a matter of balancing the priorities. You can still make money. It's just that it's not your number one overwhelming goal. I, I think if, if you see your own self and human life as part of a system, and you take a systems approach, if you look at the inputs and outputs in your life, some of them, the way that our current system seems to be in the U.S. anyway, 
a lot of them need to be money systems. Like you can't, in, in a lot of cases, you can't get the car for trade. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't get the health insurance. Sometimes you can't get whatever it is. There's There are a lot of things that are difficult without a money system. And so it does need to be part of the flow of resources. Um, and I think it, it needs to balance. So <clears throat> what I hear is, is that no one has a recollection of this conversation I had no. with Jeff. But uh, it sounds like Opalin has a recollection that Jeff did seem to advocate something about do not pursue profit, do not pursue the coin. And I I feel like uh, part of what Opalin was saying I agree with. Like I kind of feel like money, pursuit of money is not the problem. It's like compromising values is the problem. Like, I am totally willing to shoot seven people in the head to get a hundred bucks. That's a problem. That's that's very rude, you know, and it's illegal. So it's it's like uh, I I kind of I kind of feel like the problem wasn't the pursuit of the hundred dollars. The problem was the willingness to do something unethical, unkind, rude, or you know something to, to shit upon the environment. And and it's kind of like we got to – I think that we got to have some values in there somewhere. And it and I kind of feel like the values – the values, it's, it's not about the pursuit of the money that's the problem. It's the, it's the pursuit or lack of pursuit of the values. Or even some people, their pursuit is like anti-environment. Um, they intentionally do things – to pollute in a big way because they know it will piss off the people that are working hard to make things better. And they kind of find comedy in that. And I, and so, all right. As far as Jeff getting lots of money, um, I kind of feel like good for him. Um, I, I don't know what he charges now, but I understand it's like, like $1,200 or $1,400 take the course. And I know that there's like a thousand people a year taking it. So that's over a million dollars. And I kind of think that if he's gotten to the point where he just takes the million dollars and puts it in his pocket and uh, he just has to show up for this class. So he's got this million dollar a year job. I kind of feel like way to go, buddy. Um, Someone's making big coin with permaculture. Good. Good job. I, I, I want to pat him on the back. Um, I don't think he should be ashamed of of that, and I don't think we should shame him for that. I don't know what he went through to get to that point. Uh, I don't know if he has massive expenses. Uh, I I don't know, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. I I mean, it's the philosophy of HHH, right? Now, have you all heard of HHH? I've only no. heard of 4-H as an affair. Okay. So in, in some of my podcasts in the past, I talk about HH because someone, someone wants, uh, there's, there's been a couple of different things that have come up that have been like, uh, okay, Paul, I'm going to buy this thing from you. I'm going to support your Kickstarter for a hundred dollars. But now I need to know that if you profit $100, I need to know what you're going to do with that money. And my response is always the same. HHH. I say, I promise, I swear, 
I am going to spend that money only on hookers, heroin, and hooch. That's it. I, I'm going to – it'll be mostly on hookers, but surely there'll be heroin. Actually, I've, I've never done any drugs in my life. But I'll spend it on heroin anyway just to prove that it's my fucking money. Get the fuck away from my money. The key is, is that whatever a person does with their money after they somehow earned it, it's up to them. They get to spend it on whatever they want. I would like to think that Jeff's probably turning around and dumping that money into all kinds of permaculture stuff. But I, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe he is going out and he's going to Vegas with it or something. I don't know. But that's his business. I wish to encourage all permaculture people to make oodles of money and to not be beholden to somebody else wanting to know what you're going to spend that money on or, you know, what's your profit margin or, or whatever. Um, and that's kind of my point because he was saying something about money, which I just simply didn't understand. But my values are that I, my values, which I do understand is that I want him to make, Gobs of money. If he wants to make lots of money, go for it, man. Gert doesn't feel like doing what Jeff does. And what Jeff's doing is hard. And he's, I think he's, he's doing a good job. And if he's doing a good job with permaculture, I hope he gets a lot of coin for it. So, <clears throat> all that said, oh, geez, is this it right here? That's it's, it. 50, it's 1500 bucks, And that's saving $200 because you're paying it all up front. Wow. Yeah. So, um, if my guess is, is that a thousand people a year are paying him 1500 bucks for that. And it's like, I, and now here, let me, let me ask you a different question. <clears throat> now you probably didn't pay 15, you probably paid less than 1500 bucks when you took it a couple years ago. Um, but, is it worth it? It's a massive amount of information. And I knew for me that trying to incorporate even half of 72 hours of instruction in 10 days, 13, 14 days, I wouldn't retain very much of it at all, which is why I looked for an online program. Um, the, it, it's a fabulous amount of information. All of his videos are like the well-polished YouTube videos, not the, oh, I'm just sitting around having a chat with some buddies. Um, like the podcast we're about to put out. <laughs> <laughs> There's value to that, but you're not asking $1,500 for it either. Well, that's so true. They've put a lot of time and effort. Like he's on a... Um, got a chalkboard, draws beautifully and articulately, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's like it, it puts you into the student mindset of, like, here's an instructor at the front of the class, and he's got his big desk and, and the chalkboard. And so it, it very much harkens to that studiousness for me um, and the focus. And the videos are really digestible chunks. It is designed on like a 28 week, um, schedule. And then there's time after that for you to work on your design. Or at least that's how it was set up. 
um, for me. And, um, and they have a really phenomenal, like, step-by-step uh, final design exercise where you, like, here's information about your site that you've gathered and here's the climate information. Like, just really, they have it really well figured out. Um, and so, it, yeah. It, so you're saying, yes, it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And as, and so, as a friend or a family member, like I can take it again for half that price, or at least they, they may have closed that part of the early registration. Um, but so can a family member. Cool. Um, as, as a former student, I have sort of a, a half price ticket to get into the course again if I want to take it again, because the material isn't available to you forever, like the classes. Okay. All right. They're, they're behind the paywall. <clears throat> By my values, I encourage him. I, I endorse that price. If people are willing to pay it, I mean, hell, if he wanted to do it for ten thousand dollars a pop, and he only got had fifty students a year, uh, I would endorse that too. Hell, if he only had three students a year, I would endorse that price. I mean. I kind of feel like uh, he gets to set his price to whatever he wants, and if if it's worth it, he's done well. He is wise. And so I, by my values, I support what he's doing. Now, the question on the table I'm trying to get to, because I want to get to Sep's thing here, Sep's chapter, is that he said some stuff about, like, it, it sounded to me like he was trying to say, like, we should not pursue profit. And, um... Whatever it was that he said, I, I, and I feel like I shouldn't say that because I didn't understand what he was saying. And I elected to move on to the next topic rather than explore it because it's like I felt like exploration would, would be futile. I, I wasn't understanding what he was even saying. It's like I don't have the chops or something to have this conversation with him. Um, so I, I moved on. This leads me to this chapter that that's this bit of that that Sep wrote. So again, Desert of Paradise by Sep Holzer, page eighty. The economy of water landscapes. I am often asked what proportion of a property should be given to water, and how big does a water retention space need to be in order to harmonize the hydrological balance. Each landscape is different, and so is the climate, the soil, and the geological conditions. Annual rainfall needs to be factored in as well. For people wanting to go all the way to full restoration, I would estimate about 10% of the land. Yet, depending on the landscape and the desired end use, possibly more. Upon hearing this, many landowners and farmers protest that they also need to earn money from the land. I take this very seriously, as every farmer should be able to live with and off the land, should be able to feed his or her family, and make enough money without needing to be dependent on subsidies and other aids. 
However, I'd like to point out that water landscapes are economically sound. People can actually make more money from them than by cultivating the land. And it's also less work. Knowing how to do this is the answer. The Kramaterhof shows just how productive a water landscape is. The fiscal authorities have determined the assessed tax value of the land to be ten times higher than what it used to be. <laughs> that might just be Sepp complaining about taxes. <laughs> the projects in Spain and Portugal yield more vegetables from the terraced banks than the whole property is used to before conversion, with less work and at lower costs. A water retention space ensures economic success as it increases the fertility of the whole area. The balance of accounts gets even better when the water itself is used as space for cultivation. By thinking creatively and flexibly, okay, by thinking creatively and flexibly, huge gains can be achieved. Everyone can decide for themselves how intensively they want to use a water landscape. A full-time farmer probably would like to produce as much as possible in and on the water as well as around it. There's no contradiction in making good money and protecting the environment at the same time. Quite the opposite. Farmers need a healthy surrounding in order to grow abundant crops, so it's in their best interest to protect nature. Okay. The thing I appreciate is that SEP, A, advocates having a strong focus on profit. Go out there and make epic coin using permaculture techniques. Which I think might be different from Jeff Lawton's, if I were to be able to understand what Jeff Lawton was advocating. Um, I suspect it, I suspect it is. Um, but the next thing, of course, is, is that he started to advocate, a, a landscape rich in water. And he gets a lot of people saying, you know, they're, they're, they're basically saying that it's crazy. They can't do it because that'll cut into their cash flow. And then Seth's response is, no, it'll improve your cash flow. Okay. I, I just, to me, I just loved sharing this bit. Because I, I think in all the world of permaculture, there's so many people that are like, permaculture is about taking on a vow of poverty. Man, look how young I look there. That's 2009. <laughs> but, but Sep, this is when I very first met Sep. I had, at this moment, I had known Sep about three minutes. And somehow he was just, he just couldn't stop going on about how huge I was. And at this point, He's willing to say huge as in tall. <laughs> later, he had to point, later, he had to point out how fat I was. <laughs> Sep looks like he's eight feet tall there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so he did, so he, he kept going on. I mean, he couldn't stop talking about how tall I was. And I'm kind of like, 
dude, I want to talk about ponds and stuff. And all he could focus on was how tall I was. And so we, we took this little picture and he just, look at, look at how happy he is. He just thought this was the coolest thing in the world to take a picture where I'm kind of squatting down a little bit next to him. And, and, uh, it's like, you know, pleasing Seth turned out to be pretty easy. <laughs> and we were besties ever since. <laughs> so how tall are you actually compared to each other? Well, I'm 6'6". Six, six. And Mark, aren't you 6'7"? I'm 6'6 six, six as well. Okay. All right. So we are the same height. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know how tall he is. I mean... I, it's, until people start kind of getting close to how tall I am, I kind of don't seem to, I can't tell. Like I had a guy, he was, he was here at, at, uh, at Wheaton Labs and he's a, he's a relatively famous dude. And, uh, and, 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 uh, I've known him for years and then he was telling me about how he was feeling really low. And it was, and then he said it's because of his height. What's, what's wrong with your height? Seems fine. And apparently, he's short. And so I kind of needed him to stand next to somebody else. And, yeah, he wasn't as tall as this other person standing next to him. And apparently, it was kind of like a thing. It was like uh, he was – it was it was kind of making him feel down a lot. And uh, I didn't notice he seemed like the same height as everybody else. I mean, Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm saying an observation. I mean, like, does that happen to you? I've, I've had a lot of people who say, golly, I wish I was as tall as you. And my response to them <laughs> is, you say that up until you have to buy clothes, which you can't buy at a regular store. When you try to fit in a car and half the models you don't fit into, like I've tried sitting in a Corvette, for example, oh, yeah. I literally can't close the door because yeah. by the time my legs are in there, they're up around the steering wheel. How about planes? And yeah, planes. I I hate flying. The, the hate only flying. time Ugh. I've when I can afford to to do the business class and spend a couple hundred extra dollars, so I actually have a seat that fits. That's okay. But yeah, it's it, it's literally painful. Yeah, you know, with the, the seat back up, my knees are pressed tight against the other seat. There's there's no getting around it. Um, so yeah, there's. I would say maybe six foot two would be a nice balance. I think the in the United oh. States at least the average height for men is uh, five foot ten, and for women is five foot six is the average height. Okay, um, I know. So I'm going to out Katie. Katie had to get like, didn't we have to get you something to? Didn't you got something for your chair, like to put at your feet during the PDC, right? Because like your legs were hurting on our yeah, like, so- chairs. I'm not tall. <laughs> um, I bought <laughs> I I bought special shoes. It was really fun actually. But I got these tall shoes. I love the tall shoes because when I wear the six inch shoes, I'm normal height. And uh, people do give you a hard time for being short, even as a woman. And people ostensibly don't really care if the woman is short. Uh, they still make comments about like, oh, how short you are, on on a pretty regular basis. Uh, 
which is kind of surprising because it doesn't really seem to matter that much. I mean, it's annoying to buy clothes short or tall, but I think most people have trouble buying clothes if you don't happen to fit, if you don't happen to be very much like that plastic model in the store, then the clothes pretty much don't fit you. So people of all heights can have trouble with the clothes because they're just made for that very young. Yeah. (laughs) A 12-year-old boy, I think, is what most clothes are based off of. (laughs) I... I did not notice. I did not notice that you were shorter than other women until uh, you had said something. Like Uh, the chairs are making me uncomfortable, and then it's like, what? What? Why are the chairs making uncomfortable? What are they doing? They got, you know, does yours have a sliver in it or something? It's a wood chair, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Uh, And it's like. uh, uh, Then you explain it to me, and it's like, oh, oh, uh, okay. Going back to Mark. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something more, Katie? Katie, have more? Oh, sorry. It cuts off the circulation in your legs. But if you are short yes. and you go to Japan, you can be normal height. <laughs> I have a buddy who lived in Japan for a number of years, and he's, I think, around six foot two. And all their buildings are designed around the uh, an average shorter person. So he had a tough time, like, going up and down stairs because the stairwells are really, really tight. So he'd have to hunch over going to get up and down without hitting his head um, on a lot of stuff there. So he noticed it a lot. Ooh. And definitely yeah. stood out there. So uh, another thing about height, and this is stupid, we should be talking about Sepp Holzer's stuff, but uh, Sepp Holzer made it happen. He made this conversation happen. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I, I, I remember, uh, a woman explaining to me how I am not sexy tall, I am freaky tall. Sexy tall is like six foot two, six foot three. And so I don't know if you've had any, so I, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I just kind of, uh, assume that there's things about me that are too weird and I just kind of stay out of the general market, I guess, but, uh, I'm tired of. I don't know. That's. I think there can be there can be a, a significant difference in height can sort of stand out as well. Um, yeah, I used, years ago there was actually a tall club international um, <laughs> that yeah tall people get together and I was one of the shorter guys in that club. Wow. Um, we had a couple people that were seven foot plus and most of the guys were like six foot eight to six foot 10. And most of the women, like the minimum height to be in the club that they have set is six foot two for men and five foot 10 for women, which supposedly 1% of the population is above that height. Um, Oh, and so, yeah, I think there was only one guy shorter than me in that out of like say 15 or 20. And, there was uh, a woman who was actually taller than me at six foot eight, and uh, I ended up marrying her. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! So, talk about standing out. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you go to the to the mall, and yeah, everybody stares. Oh right, yeah. No, I'm I'm used to people staring. I'm used to being a freak show wherever I go. Um, but. Uh, um, all right, all right. We're probably that's probably too much yeah. about being tall, too much, or <laughs> or not being tall. Uh, um, let's let's go back to uh, to Sep, and um, 
the basic, the, the thing I really wanted to talk about was the whole profit thing. And uh, at the same time, you know, Seth's trying to talk about adding water uh, to landscape. And uh, he's getting a bunch of pushback because people are concerned about profit. And then he makes, a, I believe, a strong point. And I kind of feel like there's a lot of people that are farmers and they're struggling to get by. And if the permaculture message is is like, hey, man, you shouldn't be, like, all stressing about money and stuff. Like, money money is wrong. Money is is, like, not the right thing, you know? You should be, like, chilling and not, you know, being so money-focused. I feel like that doesn't help to get the point across. And this kind of comes back to my thing about girding it. I kind of feel like we can't talk about girding it until people have been thoroughly convinced that they could profit from permaculture. And the whole thing about, like, hey, man, don't worry about it, kind of makes it so that permaculture becomes less substantial, less real. It becomes less. It becomes silly. It becomes something that is, you know, uh, for uh, people to contemplate, but not for anybody to do. Is this? Am, am I? Am I? Am I exaggerating? No, I think that's very true. I think people have to see it as a real option that would work financially in their life. I think there's some complexing factors in, like we were talking earlier about how um, any single focus is a problem. Um, I I don't personally know a lot of farmers, but I, I have lived in a farming region, and so I hear a lot of stories. Um and they are um, not always dollar focused, but it's still a single focus in bushels per acre of whatever they're growing. And I can totally understand what you want me to put a water retention landscape in the middle of, you know, over over 10% of my land. And then that that's going to drop my total production and they're barely hanging on because they don't do things in alignment with nature. They fight against nature to get that um, gold ribbon, blue ribbon of most bushels per acre. So once you start down the path of um, chemicals for bugs and then you need one for weeds and then you need one for fungus and then you need one for something else and then you need one to kill all the wheat on the same day so that you can harvest easily. Like once you start using unnatural things to manage, it becomes a perpetual motion wheel that, or a hamster ball that you can't get out of, or it's, it's much harder to get out of. I agree. But at the same time, I kind of feel like I wish, I wish to somehow lay out a plan for those same farmers where if they do embrace water in their landscape without the toxins, that they'll profit more. And, uh, and I believe that a big part of Seth's book is to, is, is persuasive. 
in that space. This very book we're reviewing, Desert or Paradise. All right. The yeah, there's, last definitely a, piece. there's definitely a process that you have to go through to get from point A to point B there. And as, as far as the profit part of it, too, could it also be when it comes to the, um, the fair share principle and permaculture that some people take that as, oh, you can't be making money. That's, that's against the third principle, but that's not really – that's yeah, how you interpret it, right? You you can still make a profit and make a living at something without it being the overwhelming, like, I'm going to make as much profit as possible no matter who I harm or what I harm, right? It's it's a balance. Well, okay, so I, I, I want to say there's many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella. And as much as Bill Mollison never said fair share, um, David Holmgren did. And so there's clearly a lot of people who embrace fair share as the third ethic. And I believe that uh, there, there was uh, the original third ethic had something to do with population control. Then it transformed into return of surplus to the first two. Um, somebody came up with future air. And I see a magazine has embraced that. So Earth Care, People Care, Future Care. And I, I really like the Future Care. And and I also kind of believe that, you know, shouldn't we be thinking about how to expand? And, and I, this came up a few years ago. I don't know if any of you guys saw the, the PDC video. Of the, the video of the PDC that we filmed here in 2017. I don't, I've I don't, been watching I them. You saw that. Oh, okay. All right. And so there, there came a point where people, some of the students in the class, not all of them, but a few, were advocating, were demanding that I change the curriculum of the course, um, even though they've never taken a PDC before. Um, I remember that. They wanted it. Okay. And I, I kind of put it out there to say like, okay, is it okay to say, would it be fair to say that I am, me personally, and with embracing all of the arrogance I can muster, that I am like one of the uh, top ten permaculture people in the world? Is that? I mean, I know that the three of you might say yes, but uh, does that seem fair? Is that? Like, would more people savvy about permaculture say it's true than people that would say that it's false? I have a hard time judging that when you put people like Art Ludwig and um, Ms. Sanubo, I'm going to say his name wrong, Fukuoka. Okay, Fukuoka um, has died. Fukuoka has died. Toby Hemingway has died. So living people, I mean, what I want to do is I'll say, let's pretend for a moment that I'm in the top ten. And, and the sure. reason is, is what I, the reason why I want to try and say that is because it's like, all right, I want to, I want to grow permaculture. I mean, like, I want permaculture to get better. I want there to be more substance. But at the same time, I kind of understand we can't just, like, you know, have everybody doing it all at once. It'll go in so many different directions. But, you know, can I propose a, an area of growth? I mean, I, I can clearly do something where it's like, 
I believe a thing, and I'm not necessarily saying it's permaculture, but I like to say it's permaculture, and I can do that all I want. Everybody can do that all they want. But then it's kind of like, okay, when it comes to the official definition of permaculture, um, I don't feel like I have the authority to change the official definition of permaculture, but as a person who may be in the top ten, maybe I can suggest growth, suggest change, and that that might possibly be acceptable. And and I kind of feel like, um, don't we don't we want to change? Don't we want to get better? Don't we want a richer, more magnificent, more beautiful permaculture? And of course, you know, if it's in my hands, there's a lot of people that'll scream because I'll, they're, they're certain I'll fuck it all up. And I don't know, maybe I will. And so I shouldn't. But it's kind of like the whole concept of girding it, for example. I think girding it is a lovely addition to the greater permaculture community. Fair? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now I can't remember why I wanted to make this point. <laughs> well, that you had people in your in the permaculture class that were asking you to change something. Uh, true. And uh, but but really, the thing I brought up was like, and in that particular case, they wanted um, uh, they wanted us to not film because we were doing that live PDC and we were doing it, right. you know, where we were sharing the video and taking the video and they wanted us to not film the um, uh, talent night. <clears throat> and uh, when I first took the PDC, when I first took my first PDC, uh, I didn't know about talent night. And like three days before the end, suddenly I learned about talent night. Have you got your talent ready or whatever? And it's like, well, I don't have a talent. And then I learned how low the bar is for talent night. And I kind of felt like, why should I have to go through this in order to get my certificate? Which is why I was there. I was there to get the certificate. I wanted the certificate. And um, <clears throat> now I believe I understand exactly why Mollison required it. And I, I think it is wise. I think it is a smart thing. And the point I tried to make to the students, which these people were already dug in like ticks on their point, I think that they just wanted to force change, and it, it they didn't really care about on what topics. They just they were scraping the barrel when they came up with this. Um, but I think that it's fair to say that you know to to do it in front of a video camera, to do your talent light in front of a video camera is even better in this day and age. Anyway, so, uh, but there was something else. What I wanted, I, I can't remember, but I, I do wish to advocate for growth above and beyond what Mollison wrote down. And uh, I, I want us to grow as a greater community, a community of millions. You know, what are our philosophies? What are the things that I kind of feel like the thing about profit, I think, I think that I wish for it to be clear. At, at uh, I don't remember Mollison saying anything about embrace poverty or, you know, um, don't don't pursue coin. Um, but it's possible that he did, and I don't know. 
But Seth Holzer definitely clearly says pursue profit. And leading to this part about like helping these farmers to find the way to make extra coin, there's one last bit uh, from this segment for today that I want to read out of uh, Desert or Paradise. And it's about diversity. The best and most sustainable yield does not come from specialized, intensive production, but from diversity in the use of the land. The more diverse a system is, the more stable it is. What does the monocultural farmer do? He removes the animal or plant from their natural cycle, isolates them, and makes them dependent on him. He now needs to provide everything they would get for themselves in a natural environment. He has to invest lots of money in order to specialize. He is now fixed on one product. And if something unforeseen happens, like dropping prices, climate change, or disease, he has a great loss. Specialization is a very doubtful undertaking. A natural Diverse system, like a water landscape, offers a lot more opportunities, and it is economically safer, too. I have to look for market niches if I want to make good money, but I can plan ahead, react to the market, and easily switch to other products, while specialized competitors need to completely rethink when disaster strikes. I am able to quickly sell other products. Such a system gives great independence, is natural, and sustainable. All right. I'm that done. reminds me of an image earlier in the book, Paul, before we go on, okay. where yeah. he's got um, fruit trees and mushroom logs underneath. So if it's a really wet year, the mushrooms will do really well and the cherries will split. If it's a really dry year, the cherries will do well and the mushrooms won't. So that's having both crops there doing their job in a natural environment. Absolutely. That's beautiful. This is beautiful. All right. So uh, anything else about this chunk of the book that we're reviewing today? So next week we will continue on page 82. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking about the economic system you're saying about GERT. Do you feel like GERT is incompatible with profit? Because it seems like you've offered so many things for so much. And I think if you didn't have a, like a if you were living hand to mouth for some reason, it would, it seems like it would be harder. Would you say that it's true that it would be harder for you to offer so many things to the world if you were focused on making your daily bread every day. That is true. That is that is really true. I mean, to get to the point where I am, I stumbled into it really accidentally. I mean, I got obsessed with sharing what I had learned uh, about horticulture mostly, but a few other things. And I would, I, I, I posted it on the internet and I eventually created forums and I just 
I don't know, same thing with software engineering. I just couldn't stop sharing my own personal discoveries and philosophies and things of that nature for free and helping other people uh, to understand this stuff that I think is so beautiful um, for free. And I just did it for free. I just paid for everything, and I did it for free while I worked my worky job. And then um, – and I was pursuing coin the whole time because I had bills to pay and stuff like that. And, and uh, uh, eventually, I started to monetize some of the, the free stuff. It was still available for free, but it had like an ad or uh, it had some little thing on it that somehow brought in some bit of money. Um, and every... I don't know, four to six months, I would go on a day-long rant of, like, monetizing all the stuff I'd already put out on the Internet. And then one day, I kind of took a hard look at it, and I realized the amount of money coming in was greater than my personal expenses. I was free. I I could do anything I want. So you're right, which is, which is why in my book, Building a Better World, I – I have a whole chapter dedicated to uh, uh, devious financial plots. Um, and, and it's kind of like, I, I wish to share this, but I, I kind of get the, and I, we talked about this uh, in a previous podcast fairly recently, where it's kind of like, every time I bring it up, I kind of feel a little weird. People kind of think I'm pushing snake oil, but all I'm doing is sharing my thing, my story. But yeah, now, um, and, and I, I think it's also true. I'm going to advocate for people to make as much money as they want and then simultaneously say that what's even better is girting it. And all the while, while I'm saying all this stuff, um, my annual income that I Keep. I mean, a lot of money passes through my hands for all this stuff. I mean, like the Kickstarter income is a great example, but it's like the amount of taxable income I have every year is something like $3,000. So um, I, I live pretty humbly. Uh, um, the, but so I guess, I guess in a way I get all these people saying like I'm a money grubber. And I guess I have to say, I, I am. I am. Uh, of course, I think I've done a really good job of keeping all the advertising stuff for all of my empire pretty light. Um, it's pretty, pretty, and I give a lot away. Uh, a lot of stuff, I give a lot of stuff away for completely free. These podcasts are completely free. Of course, all three of you, uh, put coin into my Patreon account. Thank you very much. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, I don't really get any of that because I give it to the guy who does all the editing of the, of, of the podcasts. And I think he does a lovely job. And I'm so glad that he's there doing it. Um, but, uh, um, it's all those little bits and bobs add up. I guess I believe that the dirt path is a more beautiful destination 
than the path of making money. And I see it all the time where people are saying, like, is there anybody making money with permaculture? I think Jeff Lawton's a great example. <clears throat> Clearly, he's making a lot of money with permaculture. Um, I think that I could choose to not pursue the projects that I'm pursuing and just keep all the money that comes to me, and then I would be making a lot of money. But I I choose to redirect that money into projects uh, here. And so all three of you have been here to kind of see it, you know, what we've created here so far. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I, when it comes to profit and money, I guess I'm a little weird. But I also, I also feel strongly that I do not wish to shame anybody for pursuing profit or experiencing profit because I see a lot of that and I, I don't understand the benefit of the shaming. Why shame somebody for that? I don't. So that's I think something different. Go ahead, Katie. Katie you're, yeah. <laughs> Would you say that gratitude is a good first step to profit? Because once you've said, okay, this is enough, I'm stable, I'm set, now I'm free to do the things that I think will be the most valuable, whether that's profit or just what you would have done with the profits. Like, you could buy the thing, or you could just get the thing a different way. And either way, you have the thing. Um, but it seems like once you're girded, you could then explore lots of avenues for profit, and you can also explore giving things away, which sometimes leads to profit. So I don't, I think it, I think it seems like it. I don't, I wanted to see if you thought it was also true, that, that gratitude is a great first step for profit. I think gratitude is a, a great percept for profit, mostly because it's like the kind of profit that you get is like whatever it is that you're doing is a soul-building thing as opposed to a soul-draining thing. And it seems like there's a lot of people where they have a worky job and it is a soul-draining thing. And, uh, and they pine to be away from this job and – Whereas once you've achieved gratitude and uh, suddenly you have far more apples than you could possibly eat, that seems like a pretty quick and easy way to earn some mo some money, possibly, you know. If you're in a community that appreciates the value of an apple off of a tree, then there might be somebody that would be willing to pay 10 bucks a box, self-pick, you know. And so then they walk away with, 15 boxes and you made 150 bucks. That was easy. I don't know. So I think, I think that, uh, that gratitude could be, uh, an easy way towards a different flavor of profit. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe that's a, a thing to, to explore. I mean, the, the other thing is, is that, <clears throat> I mean, I, I have a weird thing about the word nonprofit because there are people that work for a nonprofit that are getting paid uh, $100,000 or more. And um, is it, do we say that they are profiting? I mean, a lot of people would say that they are not because that's their wage. So I don't know. Is, 
Yeah, sure. nonprofit is sort of a, like a legal definition. <laughs> you could uh, yeah. look at it that way. So I've got this weird thing about the word, the phrase nonprofit. I mean, I, I have no problem with these entities existing and doing their business model that they're doing. It's just that it strikes me as odd to call it a nonprofit. And I've always been a little weird about that. But it's kind of like if somebody's got a worky job and they're taking home $50,000 a year, is that their profit? You know, are they profiting from that arrangement by $50,000 a year? I, I don't, you know, that gets into some squishy territory over the definition of what means what, what profit means. But on the other hand, if that same person goes out and they've got their own business and then they take home $50,000 a year, I think we would say that that is their profit. And so, I, I don't know, it kind of... I would have to say that the working job person, the wage, that's still 50000 and that person that's making $100,000 the nonprofit, but that is a profit. They have profited from that arrangement. Um, I, I can I think go on for a couple of hours about my problems, the word nonprofit, but I don't think this is probably the proper podcast for that. <laughs> well, and I think the Open. challenge is with the English language in that when I heard you talk about profit, it had like three to five slightly different um, definitions. And so that adds an extra challenge to to the, the conversation even. But I had something to add to this podcast that I wanted to share. Okay. So first, you'll see that Zach Weiss was one of the instructors for the 2017 um, PDC that is available as an online uh, streaming, uh, what do you call it, a, a streaming video lectures? Um, well, look, it's the, there's 177 hours of the PDC and ATC that we video. Yeah. And so it's all there. So, and Zach was one of the instructors, and I've watched his video probably the most of, of all of them. And he's gone on to create this website called Water Stories. And if you scroll down, he's got this amazing video that talks about the full water cycle and the half water cycle, which is restoring the hydrological balance within an ecosystem. That I felt the the graphics and the description were really amazing. So I wanted to encourage people to look at that, and the website is waterstories.app, and Zach is Learn From Seth. Um, and so for those of you interested in Seth's work, go buy the book on Kindle, because that's the only portable one, in my opinion, if you like reading on devices. Um, check out your library. Um, one of the five libraries that I have access to actually had a copy, so um, get your hands oh, on the book. Desert or Paradise. Uh, Desert or Paradise. Yeah, um, and check out Zach's videos because they're they're really informative and helped me understand a lot of what Seth was talking about. Yeah, Zach is doing some amazing stuff. Uh, he he uh, was producing a movie uh, a couple years ago and showed me some bits of it, and it was like, oh wow, this is profound. This is amazing. And then more recently, I was talking to him on the phone, and, and he said uh, something went – he said – he told me uh, – he says, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Paul. <laughs> it, 
comedy happened, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a, a powerful appreciation for anybody trying to produce something. You know, now when I watch a movie and I see produced by, I'm kind of going, oh, man, dude, yeah, feel your pain. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy that any movie exists ever. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but yes, Zach, I think, has more time with Sep than I do. I'm pretty sure he does. Um. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Go back to my kicks. Oh, look, it went up while we've been talking. It went up several hundred dollars. Nice. Oh, now I've got to go back and look at all the things and be all, be all nervous and excited about the Kickstarter again. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. It's, it's a fun, fun ride. I feel very loved. I mean, um, I kind of, I, whenever, whenever somebody says anything ugly or nasty, then it's like this is kind of counter to that. These are these are people that are putting up actual dollars. So um, I don't know. It's it's like uh, putting their money where their mouth is. All right. Anything else about this section of the book? No. Hold on. I, I think we should finish chapter two for this week's upcoming reading. So that's almost ten pages. Oh, okay. All right. I'm now flipping through. Ooh, look at that. Yes, it's almost exactly 10 pages. Okay, I I predict we'll be done with Chapter 2 next week. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about desert or paradise, homesteading and permaculture all the time. All the time. Don't forget... Go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts. 